Welcome to another Little Women Podcast bonus episode. Today we'll be talking about what Christmas was like for families during the Civil War. And I've got a very special guest. It's uh, the guy voicing Lori and also my boyfriend, Zach Powers. Hello. Nice to be here. Welcome to the apartment we share. Thank you for joining me for this very special bonus episode. Excited to hear about (laughs) Civil War Christmas, I guess. It sounds, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it'll be alternatingly seasonally joyful and uh, a little... A little depressing. It is the Civil War. Appropriately sad, but that's what uh, we're going to dig into with some of these bonus episodes, maybe get into some of the heavier topics, discuss them. I don't know. We're still figuring it all out. So before we get into today's topic, what is your background just with little women in general as a story? I can't recall if I did or did not ever see the film when I was actually small. I don't think I did. Then I I, I don't believe I ever read the book as a young person. When I was in college, I read the book uh, and that was my first, I think my first exposure like to the story like in a concrete way, not an abstract way where I I obviously knew Little Women was a thing that existed. It's a fairly famous, you know, a fairly famous book. And yeah, uh, so I read it in college and I enjoyed it then. Some years later, I ended up seeing the 1994 version, which I've seen, I guess, a couple of times now. And uh, honestly, that's kind of the extent of it. I've never seen any other version of of the story. And I've also never reread the book to this point. So that's still a lot more Little Women background than a lot of people working on this podcast have, to be honest. So I'm truly quite impressed. Uh, And I'm guessing you're excited for the Greta Gerwig version coming up, too. Yes, I'll also see the Greta Gerwig uh, version in theaters. Um, I I don't know that I have much of a choice, but I'd see it either way because I'm a fan of her work so far. Yeah, I was about to say, Zach was the person who uh, first showed me Francis Ha, which is a really amazing film, uh, which actually kind of, in some ways, influenced me working on writing this project, since that's a movie about a young woman kind of trying to navigate the transition into adulthood, and so is this version of the story. Yeah, it's uh, probably slightly more adult than Little Women is. There is, I believe, some swearing... Oh, yeah, certainly. Always such, always but, go uh, with the ratings guidelines, folks. Uh, but we are very excited for the new movie. Yeah. has some actors we like in it, too. Bob yeah. Odenkirk plays Captain March. Oh, yeah. I forgot that. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy a lot of his work. Um, also, most of it probably aimed at an older audience than the Little Woman movie will be. <laughs> but still. That's fine. We have listeners of all ages tuning into this. So uh, I just thought I would put it out there. Anyway, now let's move on to uh, our topic of conversation for the evening, which, as I said at the top of the podcast, is Christmas during the Civil War. I thought this would be an interesting topic for one of our bonus episodes because I still think of Little Women as being like a Christmas story, at least in the start, since the book opens with some very memorable Christmas scenes and so do uh, pretty much every screen or stage version. Anyway, before the Civil War, Christmas was 
kind of only sporadically celebrated throughout the United States. It was popular in some regions, less popular in others. And this will probably not surprise you. It was not terribly popular in New England because of the prevalence of Puritan culture there. I don't know when Christmas as a winter holiday really began. I know it was not always thus. I I think it was probably a few hundred years before the Civil War that they kind of decided it would be a winter thing because the actual dates are a little foggy. Um, But I'm not surprised that it uh, took a long time to catch on in mainstream uh, in a lot of areas. Yeah, I think it's kind of common knowledge now that the date for Christmas is lined up with the winter solstice, which was a way bigger deal to the uh, the Puritans. I almost said to the pagans. That's also true. Way bigger deal to the Puritans than it would be to most of us today. The Puritans uh, living in Boston actually banned Christmas for 20 years in the 1600s. That sounds like a Puritan thing to do. They're very anti-frills in terms of their religion. (laughs) Anti-frivolity. It also sounds like the plot of a kid's Christmas movie, like a town that cancels Christmas for 20 years, and now we got to bring it back. I imagine it would not take place in the 1600s. (laughs) No, not very festive. Anyway, as we touched on in our previous bonus episodes... Louisa May Alcott's dad was a very religious man. He was never officially ordained as a pastor, but he did preach at length and have like a lot of people who came to his religious talks. So for all intents and purposes, he was. So while I didn't specifically come across this information in any of the books I read about the Alcott family, I'm guessing that Christmas was mostly a religious focused holiday for them. Um, In Little Women, the girls get a gift of a kind of Christian parable novel called Pilgrim's Progress. And in real life, each of the Alcott girls got a copy of the New Testament from the Bible as a Christmas gift. So for the Alcott family, I'm guessing they did celebrate with food when they could, especially after escaping the starvation of the commune. But it was mainly probably a day spent worshiping. I would assume so. Yeah, I I mean, it's still, I don't know, famously the day that mostly non-religious people decide to go to church. It's like the one day of the year where churches pull out all of their extra spare rooms. I know the church that I grew up near whenever it was Christmas or Easter had to use all their spare rooms and video cast the sermon, which never happened any other day of the year. It was always quite easy to find a seat besides besides those days. (laughs) Well, the Alcott's would be there on every other day, I'm assuming. Uh, Anyway, before the Civil War, a few uh, Christmas carols that we're still familiar with had come out. Songs like Silent Night and O Come All Ye Faithful, these very religious songs would have been popular. Again, that totally makes sense. The poem A Visit from St. Nicholas was published in 1823, and if you're like, what is that? It's the poem that we now usually refer to as Twas the Night Before Christmas. The one where it's all quiet, not even a mouse stirring, Santa shows up, yeah. all of that. And there's caps and sashes and things of that nature. <laughs> caps and sashes being thrown around left and right. And, and kerchiefs. I think there's a kerchief. Mama and her kerchief and I and my cat. Yeah, it was a sleeping kerchief, I guess. It sounds like a strangulation risk. 
I don't know. I guess in the 1800s, they had sleeping kerchiefs and caps. You don't see a lot of sleeping caps. Yeah, Joe wears a nightcap in the book, and notably in the 1994 movie, Winona Ryder is wearing a nightcap. And yeah, you don't see a lot of sleep headwear these days that's not for medical purposes. Even in that case, it feels like it would make more sense for women who would have longer hair than than for men, where I imagine it's just decorative, I guess? Maybe he was bald and he needed to keep his head warm in a house without central air. Maybe, maybe he, maybe that's what the, maybe we've cracked it. We're getting off topic. Another notable aspect of pre-war Christmas would be this was one of the rare occasions when enslaved peoples were allowed to celebrate with their families, have some time off of work, It's a time when even more paternalism than usual was forced on the enslaved peoples, which for those of you who don't know what that means, basically slave owners would try to make themselves feel better about the terrible thing they were doing by giving the enslaved peoples who were working for them more gifts and food and stuff like that than usual just on this one occasion. Uh, Obviously goes without saying, certainly doesn't make up for all the years of horrible abuse and mistreatment. Yeah, I'm certain it's all very case-by-case basis for how much or little that occurred on Christmas. Sure, I just wanted to point out that it was a time when it was like, oh, let's pat ourselves on the back, and that was a part of uh, Christmas traditions in the pre-Civil War era, Mm -hmm. based on my research. But it's really important to remember that this is what the Alcott family devoted so much of their lives to fighting against, So there is a book that I want to recommend if you're interested in learning more about this uh, topic specifically called Christmas in the Big House, Christmas in the Quarters by Pat McKissack. And that's a great book if you want to learn more about that topic. It's hard to talk about something so serious in the short time frame that we have for these bonus episodes, but I'm going to keep putting up little reading lists so that if you're interested in learning more, you totally can. Now, during the Civil War, again, probably will not surprise you, the ability to give gifts decreased a lot. You know, lack of supplies, lack of money, various barricades being set up and trade routes being cut off and blockades. But the desire to give gifts greatly increased because families were separated more often and they wanted to celebrate the time they had together. Uh, That seems traditional for particularly strenuous times, war times. I know that, for instance, in the 1940s during World War II, it was less, a lot of, a lot of places that were usually making other goods were devoted towards the war effort, and a common Christmas gift in that time would be, say, buying a war bond in the name of a loved one instead of giving them a physical gift. I imagine to some degree there was uh, shades of that in the Civil War, though I don't know that war bonds specifically existed uh, at that time. Yeah, you're right on the nose. Um, I read some stories about the Lincoln family using Christmas as a fundraising opportunity for the Union side, opening up the White House during that time. And I think from the highest level on down, there was a lot of war efforts going on at Christmas time because everyone wanted to support the soldiers. I even read some stories about, you know, war camp Christmas trees being decorated with hardtack and the other dried goods that the soldiers would eat. They were just trying to make things festive for each other if they could. It was, I think, the comment you made about the 1940s is 
really getting right at the heart of the matter, there are a few moments in American history that seem to kind of have shaped what we think of as being Christmas today here in the United States. The 1940s are huge for that. And so was this Civil War time period. It's actually funny, even Jingle Bells was written during this time in 1857. And I know that uh, another sort of Christmas traditional song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, was written from the perspective of a World War One soldier, uh, which that's already kind of a sad sounding song, but it's a little sadder when you think of uh, the fact that it's supposed to be about someone who has been sent to theoretically somewhere in the European theater to fight and will certainly not be able to be home for Christmas. Yeah, the movie White Christmas opens with uh, that song, I'm pretty sure, and it's it's very sad. So some of our some of our Christmas songs come from this era, songs we're really familiar with still to this day. But even more than that, this is kind of when our modern image of Santa as this fat, jolly, you know, red apple-cheeked man kind of starts to come into sharp focus, which makes sense. This is a time when probably a lot of families, including the Alcotts, didn't have enough to eat. So the idea of prosperity taking the form of this, you know, jolly, abundant man makes a lot of sense. We're kind of moving away from the stern St. Nicholas, whose function was more religious and more in line with the Puritan beliefs that some of the New Englanders would have had. This is probably still before, I'm not entirely sure when this company came into creation, so it's possible it wasn't, but uh, I assume it was before like the Coca-Cola marketing campaign gave him his signature suit uh, still prior to that. Yeah, I think he would still probably wear some red and tend to favor fur trimmed things, but uh, I don't think Coca-Cola came around till the early 1900s. Yeah, makes sense. But, I mean, we're getting there. That's the thing. It's honestly not that far off at this point. Anyway, of course, there was an abundance of handmade gifts and toys during this time. Cheap treats like popcorn balls that are still popular today, you know, stringing, cranberries, things like that. Those were very popular. Um, Charles Dickens was an incredibly popular author during this time. It's almost hard to think of a modern frame of reference. I don't want to say, like, he was the Stephen King of his time because that's too easy and pretty inaccurate, but he had a lot of books that were really popular during this time, and one of them was A Christmas Carol, which was published in 1843, and based on the fact that the March sisters named their family newspaper after another Dickens novel, The Pickwick Papers, I'm guessing that the Alcotts were huge fans, or at least Louisa was, and there seems to be a lot of crossover between what she consumed and what her sisters consumed they all had to share uh one other question i don't know the degree to which this was uh something you came across or not we talked about world war one and famously there were christmas truces during world war one world war one or world war two world war one had okay. famous christmas truces world war two uh as far as i'm aware did not no i, but, I didn't um, know about that uh, yeah, uh, very, like, joyous Noel. There was stories in World War One of, like, German and American forces leaving their trenches and playing soccer mm-hmm. in the battlefield and, like, singing carols together. It's, you know, fairly famous true account. I don't... Something like that is almost unheard of in other wars, but I, I wonder if there was, since 
in the Civil War, both sides would have been Christian primarily uh, forces. If there was a kind of Christmas ceasefire, if not an actual joining of... It seems like there was an unofficial Christmas ceasefire in the sense that as far as I could read, both sides were spending that time celebrating, but I didn't see any stories, at least in my somewhat limited research, because I was focusing more on the home front, of battle lines being crossed in any significant way. I actually saw a lot of stories about the different sides blaming a lack of presence on Santa being accosted by the other side. Oh, yeah. Like, if you're a Confederate soldier uh, and your kid doesn't get their presents, it's they were held up by a Union blockade. If you're a Union soldier and your kid doesn't get presents, is you know, they were attacked by, con- uh, Santa was attacked by Confederate soldiers. So, yeah, I didn't really see any reaching across the battle lines. But because there were families that were divided over this issue, it's possible that, like, privately people wrote letters to each other and maybe expressed some sort of love or reconciliation during that time. There were a lot of Christmas letters that I came across during my research between you know, far-flung loved ones, and even some Christmas letters from President Lincoln that I'll try to link to in my reading list. So, like I said, a lot of our modern Christmas images and kind of hashtag aesthetic was solidified during this time. Um, The magazine Harper's Weekly was the most popular publication in the States at the time, and they would publish Christmas stories and pictures of this fat, jolly Santa in a sleigh with a big sack of presents and all of that. And shortly after the Civil War in 1870, Christmas was officially declared a federal holiday. I don't know how I feel about because uh, it is a religious holiday and we have freedom of religion here in the United States, which is one of the things I love about it. But I think that a lot of us have fun with Christmas in a way that really has nothing to do with religion. I think more now than then, it's probably become uh, much more secularized. I also suspect that the uh, divergence of religion in the United States is greater now than it was back then. I think a lot of the immigration movements or means of immigration that might have created a more diverse religious community in the United States probably didn't quite exist yet in uh, 1860 or were fairly uh, new to, you know, new new methods of, of immigration. And so I imagine that the sense that people felt that it was, quote, quote, a Christian nation at the time, probably 98%. Sure. Yeah. And I did want to say also, if you're someone listening who you do get meaning from the Christmas holiday from, you know, your religion, I think that's wonderful as well. And I don't want to make it seem like I am looking down on that in any way. In these first two chapters of the original Little Women, which are about Christmas time, there's just this wonderful focus on Christian charity, and the girls talk about loving your neighbor better than yourself. And it honestly, even talking about it now, I'm getting choked up. It really brings me to tears every single time I read it. I think it's an absolutely beautiful message um, and a really wonderful part of the story. Yeah, I think um, in many ways, the way Christmas is celebrated now, while uh, the merits of actually specializing that day among all uh, winter holidays is as increasingly a general non-exclusionary sort of seasonal 
period of goodwill, um, you would say, but uh, certainly people who want to celebrate it in terms of their Christian or any other beliefs uh, for different winter holidays, obviously more than welcome to do so and, and often do. It's just that I think it's become more universal than just that thing in some ways. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, after all this Christmas, I'll be observing my religion, Little Women, when I go see the new movie in the theater on Christmas Day. Yeah, I guess that about covers it, right? That covers it. Thank you so much for being my special guest, person who has no choice because they live in my apartment. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, and we'll line up the, our cat Luna for an upcoming episode. <laughs> She has a lot of opinions. I don't know if the world is ready for her hot takes. They're mostly about how she wants tuna and or chicken. So if you're a listener who has tuna and or chicken, reach out to me and I'll tell you how you can forward some to us. Yeah, I'm sure mailing tuna and chicken in from all over the world (laughs) and uh, the country is uh, something that Luna would... Very happily accept, though I don't know that we can allow it. Well, on that very festive, very giving Christmas note, I will end this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.